So Jesus is better. Yep. So let's talk about that. Sure. He's better. Okay. Well done. Now it's not, it's not quite that simple. Oh. <laughs> so how how can we explain that Jesus is better to someone, say for example, an atheist? Begin to even bring that hope to someone, even from a different faith, like say a Muslim, a Sikh, a Hindu. Um, h- how do we carry out this hope that Jesus is better than anything else? So I'm going to separate um, the two religious systems that I heard you mention there. I know you mentioned a number of uh, different faiths, but I want to approach the the question differently for the the person coming from the atheist perspective and the sure. person who's coming from a non-christian theist or deist perspective sure um i'll explain those words in a second by the way i know that those are fancy words right now um, welcome to theological trivia with yeah, pastor dan yeah um we will have a quiz at the end of this and if you answer all the questions right you can earn a uh coffee mug that has been used by pastor carlos anyway um courtesy of lamp house coffee so let, let's let's do a, a quick a quick language exercise because these are fun fun words to talk about um the in the in the koine greek uh a word for god is theos theos yeah theos so we would spell that or we would transliterate, transliterate that into English as T-H-E-O-S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, if you were ever to encounter that word in Greek, that is a reference <clears throat> to God. So when we talk about someone being a theist, that is a, uh, a reference to someone who believes in some divine being, some godly being. Um, a deist would be something that uh, that is nuanced from there, but an a- an atheist would be someone who denies the existence of a god or the god in particular. So, just kind of working through that really quickly. Um, you can find more information if you Google around. If you have, if uh, if Google's not your friend, reach out to me or Carlos, and we we can explain this better. Um, but an atheist, an atheist is someone who denies the existence of any divine order, um, a, a, a divine being. Um, they say that that there's that there's no um, no supreme being uh, that is beyond our existence that we can what we can tangibly know, right? So we humans are alone in this experiment um, of creation. Um, so if we were to approach um, an atheist from a perspective of, you know, how can we, how can we make this claim that Jesus is better? Um, I'm going to start with a, a way that I know would probably ruffle feathers for an atheist. Um, but it's just simply this, by saying that Jesus is better than their religion. Um, and they, you might say, well, I thought you just said an atheist doesn't believe that there's God. Um, and I'm saying that Jesus is better than their religion. Um, in order for you to hold an atheist position, you actually have a system of faith, whether you realize it or not. Right. You don't, you don't get to say that you believe that, um, that, that there's no God without holding to that as your belief system. That is your religion. Whether, uh, if you're an atheist listening right now, you actually have a system of belief. Your belief is to choose to deny that there's a God. Right. Um, and I would begin that conversation by saying, Jesus is better 
than your belief. Uh, and maybe that's that's the place to start. Okay. Um, and, but um, from there, if we if if I'm speaking to Christians who are wondering how to even begin to interact with with an atheist, say family friend, just or someone you work with, whatever your relationship is, um, you know, you, you might start there just to 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 get that shock effect to open their eyes to that they do have a belief system. But beyond that, um, I, I would I would suggest that the way that you speak to an atheist from there is the same way that you speak to someone from any other system of faith, whether it's Muslim, Sheik, um, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, whatever the spectrum is. And that's speaking to their heart. Um, the atheist is, is coming from the perspective that, you know, all that there, all that there is in life is what we can obtain and what we can enjoy, what we, what can please us in the course of this life until we draw our final breath. Mm. Um, the other systems of faith in the world are all, um, in some form or fashion, working to earn their understanding of God, um, working to earn their, their God's favor. Um, and I think for both of them, uh, whether you're coming from a theist perspective or an atheist perspective, we do well to speak to the matters of heart that there, that there is a better God who is the legitimate God, uh, whose name we know is Jesus Christ, who has done everything that is needed for anyone to come to a, a lasting and permanent relationship with this God. Um, we need not make any effort of our own. He's done it all. And in that, he is the one who, when we're in relationship with him, coming to him on the terms that he has laid out, he's the one who actually satisfies all our heart's longings, right? So um, talking to the, the theist, whether it's a, a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, a, a Muslim, we don't have to, we don't have to do, we don't have to perform for God to love us. Um, if you will, God has done all the performing. He's done all the work. He right. went to a cross. He went through a cross. He's already demonstrated his love. Um, what we, what we need to do in our minds is actually kind of just let him put the gift in our hands, so to say. Um, and so that uh, that becomes one expression there that speaks to the the heart. Whether I mean I've, I've had Mormons in my home who come from Utah and Idaho. Um, they're eighteen twenty year old men who are who are really there trying to to fulfill um, their family's expectations and obligations to right. earn Missionary their family days. Uh, earn their family honor. And really, they're there because they fear that uh, a a vengeful God who if they don't serve him perfectly, will that God will reject them? Um, you know, Jesus is better, if you will, if I'm using this term. I, I realize that there's limits to this term that even come to the limits of my comfort in this right now. But Jesus is better, if you will, um, because his his arms are already open to us, ready to embrace us, right? Uh, if if we come to him and and, and surrender to him, um, so. Um, and for the atheists, man, um, there's, the, I think we're speaking there to the, the vanity of life that, that's lived absent, um, a, a life lived in and with and for Christ. 
um, that, you know, that all the pleasures of this world that when your perspective is just temporal or temporary, um, they come up so far short than a life that is lived in and with and for Christ. Um, that I think in both perspectives, it's speaking to the, the matter of heart from there. Right. And by the way, uh, uh, this all comes for everyone to understand where the sermon was coming from yesterday. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, all the way through 20, the, the exaltation hymn of Christ, uh, the, the very opening, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him and, um, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so this is where we come with the premise that Jesus is better. Right. And so with that being said, if, if Jesus is better, and to each one of the groups that we you've addressed and that I brought up, it's a different kind of kind of better pointing in the same direction. So he is the only begotten son of God. He's not just a manifestation of God. He's not the first of many gods. Um, he's not just a messenger and he's not just a prophet, but he is God himself in the flesh. So that makes him way better uh, to any of those groups. How does it impact the daily life of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, King Jesus? To know that he is better than, because this is something that you hammered out very nicely as you so, led to the end of the sermon. So he is better because he has made, we have been made through him. We have been made by him. We have been made for him. So our life is one that is fully dependent upon him. Um, and it is one that lives um, only find their true value and purpose when it's lived in relationship to him. Mm. Um, I was just speaking with someone this morning who's dealing with some struggles of limitation. Um, and one of my exhortations to him was to say, you know, yes, you, you cannot do certain things that maybe other humans can. Uh, because of some detriment that's uh, accounted to him. Um, but that does not mean that God loves you any less. God created you just the same uh, in the terms of that you were created through Christ and by Christ and for Christ. So in other words, there's not this idea that there's... Um, for the children of God, that there are redheaded stepchildren, is right. we, we say that in a euphemism, right? Um, there are no redheaded stepchildren for God. Everyone is equally loved. Um, and it's not because we have great brains. It's not because we have uh, big hearts. And I don't mean like the size of the organ. I mean like um, whether we classify this as bravery or whatever, uh, or just a, a uh, a capacity to love that's greater than others or something like that. It's not because of anything that's a credit to ourselves. Um, we are equally loved because we are, uh, we are each made in his image and God has seen fit to um, go about this great rescue plan of creation um, to make available redemption for whomsoever would call upon the name of Christ. 
Um, and so that becomes a game changer, I think, in our minds when we when we can begin to grasp onto this in the, the big picture things, right? And we want to overly individualize things that, you know, I have my Jesus. Sorry, your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible often. Um, but the, the, the idea is that when, when, when our stories are caught up in God's story, Mm. Um, there's the, the sense that, you know, our value is not diminished. In fact, it's enhanced when we see our places contributors to the advancement of God's kingdom, that, um, that there's no difference between Carlos and I, or you who might be listening, um, because the redemption, uh, are the, 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 the cost that God paid uh, in going to a cross was as equal for me as it is for you. Um, and we're not going to, you know, play a game on whose sin was weightier. It all cost God the same, right? His only begotten son. Um, so being, being caught up in this, this, uh, our lives being caught up, our lives stories being caught up in, in God's redemptive story. My goodness. Um, Jesus is better in every way. And, that that truth only becomes um, only makes sense in our lives when we see ourselves as being part of him and in his story. I like that. So it's not necessarily that we sprinkle Jesus on top of our story, but we no. are fully submerged into yeah, his you, his narrative. Yeah. If 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 we were looking for one liners, um, you know, we don't add Jesus to us. Jesus adds us to him. And only he can do that yeah. because if we tried to do that, it would be a, a, a horrible mess. So how do we then, and because this is, this is something that I know the last couple of weeks we've talked about American Christianity, sure, which I think it's something that as we see the church struggle to find its moral grounding, if you will, and I'm not talking about our church, but the, the universal church in the United States. We see that there's there appears to be two different um, two different value systems that are opposing each other. You have pragmatism versus biblical values. What gets us what gets us where we think the church should be based on what we feel the church should be versus what God wants us to do, what God calls us to do in Scripture. So. One of the points that you made yesterday is that he is the supreme head of all things. And right. among those things is the church, which right. he, he founded. Right. What does it look for a church um, to embrace this idea through their actions and their, their teaching and their belief system that Jesus is better than what you gave us a number of examples, any land you may have inherited? Uh, the bank account and the no, and the number thereof. Yeah. What does it look for a church to live that out? And I think I think you actually just said a, a quite a few things. Um, and I, so I want to I want to take a step back, just speaking to the disorder of things. Um, and I had a conversation last week with a, a pastor friend of mine who gave me some words to this um, that I, I think are really helpful. Um. So what we talked about there was that, you know, God, God in, in creation and in response to the fall, going about the plan of, of redemption and restoration, there, 
there's a what what is commonly called a sacred order to things, um, and so this and um, without getting overly particular in this idea, but it's this this God given holy order of relationship of things. So, an example of this might be um, in a sacred order. God is the one through whom, by whom, for whom my life has been given. Right. Um, but even there, I've referred to my life as mine, but in sacred order understanding, my life is God's. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, not my own. Right. So I live for him um, because this life that's encapsulated in the body and the being that is known as Dan Newberg on this day in March of 2023 is actually God's life. Right. Um, and so God sees if, if, if I, if I'm in alignment with that sacred order, my, what I do is in alignment with what my King has ordered me to do. Thinking about that in those terms, right. Um, that, he he's ordered me. Uh, we call this call, by the way, because I think we soften this. Uh, so it, it seems like you know, the Bible talks about call, but I, I'm going to frame this in a, a, a king and subject relationships. I think that communicates better. You know, God has called me or God has ordered me uh, to be the pastor of First Baptist Church Divine. Um, or, or to put it in, in, a, more, in a sacred language, he has um, consecrated and yes. commissioned you. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I, that, that, that is sacred language that, but, and it's part of this, that the sacred order of things, we've lost sacred language, which is why I'm using the language I am right now. That's sure. another problem, right? We, we've, we've lost so much that we need to reclaim. So that's why I'm using this. He's ordered me. Um, and I, and I've gladly accepted that order. That sounds like, that sounds so harsh to say, well, God ordered me, but that's, that's in a sense the, 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 the consecration and the commission he sent me, he's called me, um, he's ordered me if I need right. to put it in those terms. Um, so I'm here, I'm, I'm, um, trying to do my best in, in fulfilling the expectations and obligations of my assignment, if you will. Um, and I do, I do that. Not to earn God's favor or love, um, but because that's what he wants. That's how he wants to use the life he's given me right right now. Um, and for all and my my mindset, my framework, my outlook is I'm doing this until I don't have any more breaths to draw. Right. Like, sure. There, there's there's no place for me to go. It's not not this mindset that this is a stepping stone. This is where he's ordered me and I'm staying here and I'm. I'm making plans. You know, I'm about to be 39. You know, I'm making plans for when I'm 89, right? If God wants me here this long. And the order could change, right? And, and if you've ever been in the military, you know you get a, a PCS order, a permanent change of station. The, the commission may be to go someplace else for me in life. But the, but the PCS, that is not Pastor Dan saying he's being the, called somewhere the, else. But, but that's, that's what I was saying. <laughs> right. But the PCS papers haven't come. Right. right? And I'm not looking for them. This right. is just called, but I want to frame this in our minds, right? So this is where he has me. Right. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is sometimes we, you know, some of us have received our orders and we are, um, vocational educators in public or private settings, Christian right. settings. 
um, or in uh, legal settings or in financial settings or um, in Timbuktu or Tanzania or uh, Slovenia or whatever. Sure. Um, and we go and we do this because that's where he has wished us to be. Right. Um, and we, we also do this and we should approach it um, doing all things that we do as unto the Lord. Um, because really all our works are, we render unto him as even, even the work we do, whether it's the way we wash our dishes, we do this unto the Lord as, a, as an expression of worship. To right. him and for him. Um, anyway, so the idea of life and sacred order, he may send me one day to Iran. And that sounds that sounds really scary. I, I dropped that name because I know in our minds, we know we know the geopolitical state. We know the climate there. We know um, that there was a, a recent uh, women's liberation movement and lots of women lost their heads over this, literally. Right. Um, and so we, we and that's just women trying to you know get out of the burqa and be able to get access to education. Um, it, women in Afghanistan, females in Afghanistan, they cannot get an education beyond the sixth grade. Right. Um, divorced women are not allowed to hold, uh, not a divorced, widowed women are not allowed to hold any employment. Mm. Um, so there, my, my point in this is these are, these are regions desperate for the gospel. He, he could send me there. And if he did, if I got my PCS papers, right, using the military term, if I'm if I'm commissioned to that place, I've got to go. Right. And my mindset can't be, um, as the Bible talks about, keeping my hand to the plowshare, right? Uh, or, or as Jesus tells that guy, let the dead go bury their dead. Um, my mindset can't be to, to say what I'm leaving behind. I need to go because my life is not my own. My life is his, and this is where he wants me. And because I know my rewards are not here, but my reward is to be with him for all eternity, I can gladly go uh, because scripture has formed my understanding of myself. My relationship with Christ has formed my understanding of myself where I genuinely believe that for me to live is Christ, right? for me to live is sacrifice and to die is gain. gain. Sure. Okay. So anyway, so there, there, there's that, the idea of sacred order. So where's the church gone a, a whack, a miss? Well, to narrow that, how do we bring it back to standing under the greatness of Christ? Sure. So, but this is, this is where we've got to understand if there's a sacred order, then what stands in opposition to that? And it's this idea of secular order. Um, and so... We do see this in our church. Mm -hmm. A secular order um, would divorce um, the the way the, the way that we practice uh, our faith from the way that God designed our faith to be practiced. Okay, so uh, an expression of, of sacred order when we talk about discipleship, um, sharing the faith, uh, educating the faith, raising others up uh, to to make them disciples of Christ. The first discipleship unit was not uh, an age and stage Sunday school class. No. The sacred order of discipleship is the family unit, right? You've got patriarchs and matriarchs of the family. You have the childbearing generation. You then have all the little kiddos, right? That sacred order would say that 
in Deuteronomy chapter six, that there's there's the sense that we are we are as a family unit um, actually training up these children in the way that they should go in fear and admonition of the Lord. Right. Right. Um, secular order would have us create discipleship programs within a church that appeal to gender specific ministries or age and stage ministries because. We have particular needs um, that only can be met in those settings. And I'm not entirely wanting to blow this up right now, but it's secular order that has created those structures that the church is just absolutely bought into because secular order has also told us that our metrics of success as a church are how many people we can get to come. Uh, how many nickels uh, we can account to our our, uh, our receipts, um, and so in order to raise our numbers both financially and and in attendance, we've got to we've got to appeal to demographics. Right? This completely, I'm using completely consumeristic language right because now because that's what it is. Because that's what it is, and so that's that's where secular order has reigned and where sacred order has been abandoned. Right. Um, and I'm probably stepping on toes right now, but it is true. We, we, we have said, if we even know what sacred order is, we're not really concerned with it. Um, in fact, we're, we're so, it's not just the current generation of people in the church. We have been doing this for so long that we have inherited this. And in the course of inheriting the expression of church as it is, we assume that this is the, the way it's always been done and the way it should only be done. Right. Um, what I'm making an appeal to is actually to go back the way it was first done and the way it's intended to be done. We just have never seen it. Right. Biblical example here. Um, now you got you got me preaching today, dude. Amen. Um, you, you, you there will be a link where you can do your donation at the bottom of the screen. Um, <laughs> you open the 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 Old Testament uh, book of Malachi mm-hmm. uh, in the first chapter. There's an interaction between God and the people of God at that time. Malachi comes towards the the very end of Old Testament times, uh, on the precipice of New Testament times. And it's the prophet Malachi through whom God is speaking to the people of Israel. And the interaction is something like this. I'm really paraphrasing right now. And trust me, you don't want the copy of the, the Newberg paraphrase. But it's basically this. God is telling the people of God, Israel, you know, you haven't upheld uh, my commandments. You haven't upheld your part of the covenant. And they say, what covenant? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and God says, the one that your, your fathers struck with me. Now, he's not talking about the generation that precedes them. He's talking about the Abrahams and the Moseses, right? They're, these are now maybe 30 generations of, of um, human beings between the original covenants that God is referring to and those who are still supposed to be expressing and keeping the covenant. But they're so far removed from the way how they're so far removed from sacred order that they themselves have now entered into secular order. And they they don't even know how to do church, if you will, any other way. And so they say, what are you talking about, God? We're doing it the way our, 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 our fathers and our grandfathers showed it. In exile. In exile. Yeah. Important to know. Yeah, we're we're doing it the way we were shown, and God's saying how you were shown is wrong. You don't even remember what I taught you, Uh, and so 
that's kind of where we're at, right? Like we're, we're at the point where we are doing and holding on to what we know in many facets and we've lost sense of sacred order. Mm. So anyway, that's groundwork for my answer to your question. No, now that's you gotta, good. You got to remind me of your question. No, that was actually the answer. Okay. Because it, the, the whole idea is how do we do this? And basically what you're saying is we need to go back to the biblical model of starts in the home, starts with understanding that the God of order, who is the, the living God, has propelled us forward to do this according to the model he's shown us. Yeah. And if we step away from that model, not saying that we cannot have the modern expression of that today, um, we are stepping out of the bounds of how do we please God based on in the order that he's given us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes. So I, I get it, but hopefully others will get it too. As Again, you can see. If you have questions or complaints <laughs> or criticisms, it's carlos at fbcdivine.org. Just, just, we'll keep bringing that theme back up. By the way, and if you have any gifts, just give them to the church and we'll make sure the church gets them. I'll get the complaints. The church can get the support. Okay. Who so, created God? He is great. So I think this is a great question. Who created God? Yeah, who created God? That's an excellent question. Nobody. He already existed. He always has been and always will be. Nobody has created him. Now, this is this is where um, our Mormon friends go awry. I mean, they'll talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, they'll say that God the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, was human and then be, then ascended to divine uh, essence um, upon the resurrection. Right. I think I have that right. It's either the cross or the resurrection. I believe it's the resurrection. <clears throat> but he wasn't he wasn't um God himself until then. Um God the Father um is uh not the first or originating God, but he is a subsequent God that comes on the heels of however many gods before him that finally got around to creating him. Um and the odd the other odd thing is that when you are of the faith, you yourself are God. Right. Um, and so that I think that these questions come from these other faith traditions um, uh, or religions, really. I'm softening that. These other religions, these false, uh, these false religions that, um, that maybe we, we hear some things about and we wonder, well, how does this relate to Christianity? And really... Doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, like there, there's no overlap on this. Um, God always has been and always will be. God always has been three persons in one: right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, any of the any of the original creeds or confessions that the early church uh, labored together and, and fought through um, to to wordsmith. Would, would describe uh, the the relationship of the God the Godhead is co-equal and co-eternal. Right. In other words, they've always been, and there's no one who is greater than the other. They're three persons in one. Each have equal footing at the, at the table of the 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 complete Godhead Himself. Um, and so, that's unique amongst all the religions of the world too. Right. Which, um, anyway, God, God always has been, always will be, um, and uh, has always been uh, Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 
which uh, the Bible gives us at least two places where we can see this. For example, Psalm 106, uh, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. The other one is, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is Genesis 1.1, where we see that he was there from even before time and space began. So uh, it's one of those things where... We can definitely see that. Just one more question for today, and then we'll keep adding those. Uh, someone aptly said, God is a title. What is God's real name? Hmm. Um, what is God's real name? Well, the the Hebrews uh, would refer to God or give the name of Yahweh. Right. Right. Um, but they won't use that because the because, Tetragrammaton is a sacred name. Like that right. is a personal name. Right. And so um, they, they, they know God as, as that. Anytime in scripture, could have primed me with this one so I could have been the better Bible student right now. Uh, anytime in scripture, I think about uh, Moses's commission uh, or his order to go to Pharaoh. Right. Um, he he asks the question uh, of God in that commissioning scene. Well, who who am I going to say sent me? He says, "Will you tell Pharaoh I am sent you?" Um, so anytime that that God has also referred to Himself, He has referred to Himself in that way. Right. I am. Um, and interestingly enough, um, the this is where. I don't want to discourage Bible reading, but this is where many times I find our English translations lacking. Lack. Yeah. Um, particularly in the New Testament, when, when there's uh, these grand scenes of <coughs> Christ who is, um, who's approaching a, a group of people. Thinking about the one um, with, with Christ walking on the water, approaching the, the, mm -hmm. the boat filled with the disciples. And, the, you know, they're like, who is that? Um, and then, Christ responds, and our English translations say something like, it is I. But ego emi. Yes, but the, the Greek says, ego I me. There you uh, go. And so the Greek there is, I am. Uh, Jesus was, was and is using the, the, that personal reference that you see God in the Old Testament using, like in this interaction with Moses. He tells Moses, will you tell him I am sent you? So Peter, who's Peter. Asking, Peter's asking yeah. the question on the boat. Who is that? Jesus says, I am. Like, if that doesn't make, like, every light bulb go off, it's like, oh, the, Jesus is claiming something huge here. Uh, and unfortunately, our English translations miss that. So right. the, the name of God, um, the I am. Right. Okay. And we see that... Uh, Primarily in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, he said, I, uh, he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, and I am his Yahweh Adonai, the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, and we also see that in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 16, and uh uh, many other places, uh, like Exodus 3, 6, which is the reference I just read, not to confuse anyone. And I, I love the idea that the youth, when they gave us these questions, are, are not struggling, but they're wrestling with trying to, under, to understand who God is. Because it also shows us they're, they're not just sitting there drinking pop or soda, whatever you want to call it, and eating snacks and not paying attention to things. Pop? 
I know. It's a northern. What? Yeah, it's north. That, like, I know. That's, oh, my That goodness. should That should resonate with you, man. Come no, on. No, man. Like, when, did, when have you spent time <laughs> north of the Mason-Dixon line? That's a long story for another day. Okay. Yeah. So that is the end of our episode for today. Yeah, please pray for me. Um, you know what? That's fine. I'll take it. I'll take all the prayer I can get. So for complaints, send them to me. Uh, any prices, you send them to him, Dan at fbcdivine.org. Uh, but until next time, this is Disciple Life. Yeah, I was going to say, and if you have questions for us, um, you know, there, there's a way, uh, there will be a link in all of the posts here for you to drop questions that you might have to us, whether right. they're just questions you're struggling with, questions about what you're reading, what you're studying, or questions about what any of us uh, here at the church might preach or teach. Um, we'd love to be able to offer uh, some conclusion or resolution to what you're, what you're uh, searching for. So or just, have fun. Yeah, just have fun. So um, feel free to submit those. There will be a link uh, on these posts where you can do that too. There you go. Please like, and subscribe. We would love to reach more people with this. Uh, I think so, so far the people who are actively listening every week really enjoy it. Um, so please help us with that. Yeah, man. I heard some people listen to this before they go to bed. So I'm like, so we get to help people go to sleep. That's awesome. Hey, the ministry of rest is a real thing. Yeah. I thought I just helped people on Sunday mornings. Now it's like during the <laughs> week. So it's awesome. So what I'm hearing is you take care of the depth and God will take care of the breath. Yeah, something like that. This is Disciple Live, the Bible in Everyday Life with Pastor Dan Newberg and your servant and brother in Christ, Carlos Gardenio. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.